Yeah, I've just been playing uh, this game a little bit, and then um, playing Revelations 2. Oh, nice. Um, That's a good game. Which, which is a really weird control screen, scheme on PC. Oh, yeah, I could imagine. <laughs> Alt is Sprint, and Tab is the button you press to change your character, so I have accidentally Alt-Tabbed out of the game many times. <laughs> That's funny. I downloaded a, a ROM for Marvel vs. Capcom 2. Oh, nice. And I'm so bad at Marvel vs. Capcom 2. This morning I picked up Doom 64 and Celeste. Nice. Yeah, I've always wanted to... Celeste is one of those games I really should play one of these days. I'm just, like, nervous it's not for me. Yeah, it's like $5 right now, I think. Um, it's That's very, bad. very low price on Steam. So I was like, fuck, I'm going to pick it up. Yeah, I've been uh, trying to work my way through Cyberpunk, mm -hmm. and I feel like so much of the discussion about Cyberpunk was focused on the like technical jargon and how the game wasn't working, that no one was talking about what I think is maybe the most glaring flaw. The game is so fucking boring. <laughs> it's so boring, and I'm like so ready to get on with it. I'm I'm on hour four, and I'm just trying to like run straight to Keanu. Right. As we all are, right? <laughs> Run into his arms. Yeah, but I was talking to a friend at work about it, and they said that I'm still kind of in the tutorial, and that's that could be why maybe I'm not having so much fun with it. Four hours in? Right! That's absurd! That's like... That's insane. That's insane. <laughs> like, the most egregious thing I've ever heard was um, I was... I, I started playing Final Fantasy thirteen, and... Uh, it is a very boring game, in in my opinion. Uh, but like the the level design, like the the world design is eh, because it really it just uh, it, it's just a big hallway. All of the characters just run forward in a big hallway, and you can pretty much set the game up to practically play itself, and you just hold up on the joystick. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Again, it's just a hallway. There's nothing to explore. There's no one to talk to. It's like, you, you call this an RPG? And um, a friend of mine was like, oh, yeah, don't worry. Like, 10 hours in, it opens up. And there's a place where you can explore a little bit more. 10 hours? Yeah, jeesh. That's, yeah. I mean, that's JRPGs for you. Well, even, like, Final Fantasy VII wasn't just a straight hallway. Like, it's not right. a, um, like, a super branch narrative game, but, like... There's so much more to like RPG about it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I've decided with cyberpunk, I'm going to put 20 hours in and mm -hmm. uh, just see how I'm feeling then. And if, if I'm not feeling any sort of desire to keep playing it, I think 20 hours is plenty of time, you know, and, and for them to have convinced me and I'll tap out because um, yeah. I know we we want to talk about I was going to play it regardless but since we had want to maybe do an episode it. on it I'm like 20 hours is enough to have an opinion <laughs> I think I'm going to watch a long play and then um just kind of build my my thoughts on it with that because it's only it's like $40 and I don't want to pay that much money for it if yeah. I spend $40 on a game I'm going to buy Dark Souls for PC Right. Yeah, because you could find it for 20 on consoles, but since you don't have a PS5, I would honestly not recommend. Right, because it's you not made for the base. It's going to kill my base PS4. It's going to kill my PT machine. Yeah, exactly. You're, um, it, it, how much more can Cyberpunk take from us? Right. 
a PT, <laughs> sure. Um, do you think that Caleb Long was satisfied with it? Because he that's was who so, I was talking about when he I was said so excited for it. Oh, are we are we, yeah. are we in episode mode? Oh, yeah, we're in it. We're in okay, it, buddy. Okay. Uh, yeah, I was talking to him about it, and I asked him uh, last just, week. Like, censor his name. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. No one's listening. And, <laughs> and I told him we do this, so if he ever gives it a listen, maybe he'll he'll like the shout out. Uh, Hello. Hope you're doing well. <laughs> this is a funny story. So I asked him, I was like, when does it get fun? And he was straight up like, if you're not having fun, maybe it's just not for you. And that's okay. But then he told me he put 30 hours into it. <laughs> and then he got that bug where his save was corrupted. <laughs> oh my God. That's awful. <laughs> and I just couldn't help but laugh. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Oh. That sucks. He's like, yeah, it does. It, it's, it's rough. Uh, <laughs> did he give uh, up or did he continue? He gave up. Because, yeah, he never finished the game, but he did, I believe, start a new save from talking about it with me. He wanted to jump back into it, jump okay. back into it. And it's funny because uh, <sighs> someone else I work with, Bobby, was uh, when we were talking about this last week, he poked his head into Caleb's office and he was just like, hey, I just have a cool question. Like, And basically he was like, I'm kind of trying to decide if I want to get Cyberpunk or Witcher 3. And then before he could even finish, we both just went Witcher 3. Witcher 3. This is not if, if like that's really the choice, that's easy. Witcher 3. Yeah. Oh gosh. Did I ever tell you about my Assassin's Creed experience? I uh I was playing I'm not sure. I was playing Black Flag, the pirate one, and I was very excited to play a pirate game for once. Right. And um in my typical completionist fashion, uh I was doing literally everything so that in the menu there's a little percentage counter for your completion rate. I got it to like 55% before I encountered a blue screen <laughs> inducing crash on PC. I got mm. this game for free with the purchase of a graphics card. And I'm pretty sure I like I don't I don't know if I still have it or not. I might still have it, but I just I'm never going to play it again because that blue screen um it it crashed the game, it crashed my computer, and when I rebooted my computer, my my save file was gone, just missing just gone? completely. Yeah, oh missing my completely. God. You play didn't have it on the cloud. The my, it was nowhere on my hard drive. That's it awful. was just <laughs> completely gone. Fifty five percent wiped clean, and I just very firmly said, "No more Ubisoft." It was in Davy Jones's locker. Yep, it's gone for good. That's rough. Well. Hey, we're already in the episode. Let's put a pin in Cyberpunk since we're going to do an episode about it. And I, I certainly have more thoughts, and I will then. Uh, folks, welcome to Surprise Mechanics, the only podcast about video games. I'm your co-host, Roman Vitell, and joining me, as always, is Michael Jones. Greetings, gamer. I see you. Greetings, gamer. I see you. I'm working on doing a speed run of that intro. <laughs> Get it down uh, as fast as I can. You have to. You have to tell me next time so I can. I can. You know, not hold us up at the very oh, tail end that. of it. I was know? just thinking on my end, but yeah, okay. It's a team effort. I like that. Yeah. As you could probably tell, listener, from the tone of this intro, this is a uh, kind of a different episode, a little more loosey goosey. I don't really know what we should call this, Michael. I, I in my head, I've just been calling it combo pack. Combo pack is pretty good, I think. I mean, yeah. You go to the store, you get a combo pack of surprise mechanics. Exactly. A little chocolate with your peanut butter. Unless you're allergic to that, then uh, I don't know, two other things that you can eat. Figure it out. So what we're doing is we're talking about two games. I'm going to talk, I'm going to gab your ear off about a game and you're going to gab my ear off. And those games are Ratchet and Clank, Rift Apart and Cruelty Squad. I'll be talking about Ratchet. You'll be talking about Cruelty Squad. Do, do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? You know what? I'll, I'll jump into the water head first, um, which is not the way you should jump in the water, probably. <laughs> 
Well, unless you're trained, you could, you know, yeah, if you're a diver. I, yeah, I, I'm not. <laughs> so, I, so just to clarify, because I still don't understand what's happening, you're going to talk about Cruelty Squad first. Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, then lay it on me. This is a game that I kind of picked up on impulse um, based on a recommendation from an influencer on Twitter. Was it Jacob Geller? No, I, I don't know if Jacob Geller has played this. It was... Um, Oh gosh, I I'd have to search it real quick, um, so I'm going to stall until I do. But it, it's uh, it's an indie game. It's made by I think one person who um, started a a like the, I don't know their actual name, but they go by uh, Consumer Soft Products is a developer and publisher. Well, I'd asked only because when I looked up when you said you were going to talk about this, and I looked up screenshots, it looks. Exactly like a game Jacob Geller would talk about. It really <laughs> on this does. Channel. Um, the the uh, the influencer in question that I I got this from was at uh, Casey Explosion on Twitter. Oh, okay, yeah. I I know that they recommend a lot of really good games, so I was like, okay, I'll mm-hmm. give it a shot. And I I, I want to just walk you through. Um, this is the description of the game on Steam. You probably already read it, but for the sake of everybody listening. Cruelty Squad is a tactical first-person shooter set in the hardcore gig economy of corporate liquidations. You're an emotionally dead, combat-substance-fueled grunt of Cruelty Squad, a depraved subsidiary company tasked with performing wetworks for its host conglomerate. Will you make the corporate arch-demoness proud or succumb to the bitter tears of failure? Um, and that is the... <laughs> like the primary selling point um and and then it just goes into bullet points and most of those bullet points are things like i don't really understand but like once you open the game you you, okay now i get it but essentially this game plays like um doom or uh quake uh it is like a very it can be like a very fast-paced fps shooter um but then there's also like little elements of hitman where you have targets in each level that you have to assassinate. And uh, how you go about that is totally up to you. Um, for instance, there are people uh, all over the, the game world that are just regular civilians, and then there are armed guards that will shoot you on sight. You can sneak through, you can go guns blazing, you can shoot civilians, you can shoot guards. Um, and that's kind of the gist of it from what i gather um it is an assault on the senses yeah it looks um like a fever dream i'm looking at screenshots right now it is absolutely an assault on the senses in the sense that like there is so much color and if if, if you ever said graphic design is your passion well oh, <laughs> oh this game is for you like just the visuals alone are insane colorful and very unorthodox for video game design and in, in, in most cases and like the original doom has a lot of color and absurdity to it but it definitely like it feels like you're going through a mars base it feels like hell this I, like i guess these are office buildings and houses and and, and neighborhoods and um uh, different you know regular modern types of buildings but they just look so alien mm-hmm. um and then to top it off uh, the music is also very minimal synth ditties. Just like I, I played this game for an hour this morning, headphones in, 
music and everything and everything from the voices to uh the the music is just very strange every piece of presentation in this game is weird and offsetting just off-putting um unsettling it's just very strange how's the gameplay it's pretty solid like um for a shooter it works out really well and the first time i picked it up uh it was very difficult it, one of the bullet points on the steam page is no hand holding and it means it <laughs> mm-hmm. uh you can take about maybe 1.5 times as many bullets as the guards and enemies in the game can so um stealth is actually a pretty good option in this though uh additionally a lot of targets are really small in a distance i wonder if i should turn my fov slider down because i have it all the way up which is like (laughs) a a first person uh game compulsion like whenever you get an fps you just want to crank that fov slider so you can see just as many degrees around you as possible um, but in those games like Quake, you're you're fighting against like giant monsters, so getting them <laughs> into your sights is much easier. With this, it's like if you want to shoot at the guards, uh, not only do they like run around and then they stop to shoot you, but they're much smaller than anything in games like Quake, so they're kind of hard to hit. And, yeah. and I really struggled the first time I played this game, uh, but then I picked it up this morning and I, I replayed one of the old missions and. Uh, I found new routes uh, to make my way through the level and uh, new tactics to to try to, you know, play a little bit more cleanly. And it worked very well. Like, that was, I think, probably the highlight was uh, being observant of the environment and in that level, um, you can bypass some things and, and kind of, like, uh, fast forward through it in a way. Like, the, the, the Hitman type of gameplay is very much apparent there um and then also little things like a silenced pistol doesn't alert people so then uh you can just kind of like sneak around and pick people off um so stealth is very big um and i do love stealth even in weird fever dream sequences i just found this meme that i I don't understand the context for but it's making me laugh so maybe you'll appreciate it and it's the format where it's like it's text and then that picture of the person standing in front of the door like a bouncer not letting Mm -hmm. you in and then another picture of text and then them letting you in the door and so the first text says cruelty squad is like deus ex on acid and the person's not letting you in and the second one says cruelty squad is the spiritual successor to mario 64 (laughs) 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 and then letting you in the door (laughs) that's incredible and yes um deus ex is a great comparison because it does feel like that as well there's a lot of uh there's actually like upgrades you can purchase um, I haven't even gotten into like, like I, I've described what you do in the game, like moment to moment, but there's more to this. Um, there's like all these like little sub mechanics that go along with it. Mm-hmm. Um, one of which is like, it, like augmentations in Deus Ex where you get upgrades for armor and for, uh, you know, just doing more damage, being faster. There's one that you can see on the steam page where you, uh, I think you use your intestines as a like an Indiana Jones whip to swing around in the room. <laughs> it's like Sarah so, Squirm. Yes. <laughs> it's just like body horror shit. Um, yeah, yes, absolutely horrifying. Um, I think one of the cheapest upgrades is called Nightmare Vision Goggles. 
and it just turns everything red and impossible <laughs> to di- like to, to discern. Oh, that's um, awesome! But uh, but everything is also ridiculously expensive, so you have to use the stock market. There's a stock market mechanic <laughs> in this game, and there's a bunch of different companies on it. But it's also divided into three different types of categories. You have regular corporate stocks that you can invest in and uh, buy and sell. You know. Buy low, sell high, all that good fun. Aside from corporate stocks, you can also uh, trade body parts on a stock market. Like, you know, what's the what's the price of uh, a liver? You know, right now, oh, it's up. You know, this 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 many uh, numbers. Okay, well, I guess I'll sell sell some livers I picked up. Um, <laughs> So not your liver. It's like you're selling your inventory. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, the third category is fish. I think you can get a fishing rod as a weapon. And if there's water, there might be fish in it and you can catch fish and sell them. Um, it's I, I, I haven't really done much with the stock market aspect yet, but I've already read a few guides about if you want to make, you can like make billions of dollars in the game for uh, the things that you can purchase in the game. Like one of the, uh, there, there's a bunch of secret levels and one of them is uh, one that you have to buy in the menu before you can access it. And it's like a million dollars. It's simply called Home. Th- this game is ridiculous. I think I'm going to have to play this. This looks awesome. The, the first cutscene, like the very first piece of dialogue in the game, there is like a story and I haven't gotten any further than the f- initial cutscene, but it starts with you getting a phone call from, I guess, a uh, an employer or, or an agent or something. And the very first line is like, did I wake you up from your depression nap? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, like, oh, yeah, well. You, you, I know you got laid off, but you can come work at this company, and and we just have to make sure that you use the conditioning app for one hour each day, and uh, <laughs> we got to keep your mind clear so that you know you're working good for the company. This game has a very like I, from the things that I've read and the people that have described this game, uh, capitalism is very much at the forefront as a big thought here, and how like utterly uh disgusting this game is from like every time you die you're charged five hundred dollars amazing to be resurrected if you die three times in a row and you can't pay that 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 price then you pretty much just turn into a zombie that can eat the people that you can that you kill (laughs) and when you eat uh, somebody that you kill you gain one hp that's it um (laughs) This game is fucking cruel and disgusting in the exact same ways that, well, not the exact same ways, but like in metaphorical artistic representation of the ways that capitalism is. But it is like uh, fun to play. Kind of. I could play it for like an hour. Okay. Um, at Maybe a time. I, it's, yeah. it's like, it's like kind of, it's, it's very grating, but like, I, like it is kind of fun too to play. Sure. It's like an intentional thing. It takes a little bit of time to like get into that that mode where um, it is fun because like again if you come in blind then you know oh it's like a, it's like a, it's like doom it's like quake so I run and gun and shoot but that might not work exactly as well as you'd hope so um, once you like take some time and and a lot of trial and error to figure out the way the game works then it starts to become more fun and it doesn't take too long to figure that out. Uh, no hand holding, um, but uh, it it does like 
I think reward being slow and meticulous more than run and gun. Um, that is, uh, you know, depending on how well you feel with the visuals and the music, just assaulting your senses uh, during that initial period of time, you might like figure <laughs> out how the game works and then put it down for a little bit and then pick it up again. I, I was going to play this last night to prepare for today, but I instead opted to go to bed early and play it in the morning. And I played it for like an hour and <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> I just feel like going back to bed now. <laughs> I have an early access review. I found that I could read that. I think, uh, I mean, it's, it, I think it pretty concisely says everything you're talking about here. I, I I'm going to guess, cause I'm looking at steam reviews as well. And the one that I wanted to share was you basically play as the guy who killed F- Epstein. <laughs> The one I found, it's a browsing my organ stock market placement while grappling up a wall with an intestinal rope and shooting pus out of my feet to assassinate some corporate stooge in a 90s mall guarded by a giant hideous mall cops with mini guns for arms. An oasis of love and friendship. <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. Pretty Sounds yeah. like a pretty good game. You know, so obviously, it, it like you've said, it's like sort of a, a critique on capitalism and it sounds like corporate America in a lot of ways. Have you seen or played a game called Going Under? I have not. It's kind of doing the same thing, but aesthetically and tonally, it's very different. Uh, Going Under is essentially um, a dungeon crawler roguelike, uh, or roguelite, call Billy, he'll tell you which one, uh, (laughs) where it's basically Hades, but you are playing, you're a tech startup, and your role as the unpaid intern is you constantly have to go into the basement to kill the various monsters that are down there, also working in their office space. Oh my god. Uh, and it's it's worth playing. I have it on Switch if you want to check it out. Um, okay. I not to get too derailed and just do a whole review of Going Under. Um, I didn't love the way it felt, but it's one of those games that like does so much very good, and and I like what they're doing. And it's from like an indie studio that like I don't want to. You almost feel bad like critiquing it, you know. But I mm-hmm. didn't end up finishing it because I was kind of like eh, I'm not sure. But I loved so much about it except the way it felt to play. Which yeah. is why I asked if Cruelty Squad felt good to play. <laughs> it, it's it, it's a weird thing because yes, it is like very intentional. Like there's no um, there's no doubt that like how this game feels is the way that it was intended to be. Um, but then it's just like from one moment to the next, it's it's just like okay, this is fun. Okay, now it's very not fun. What's happening? Mm-hmm. So it's just insane. Also in in going under the the monsters in the basement they they're hired to work there so you just have to like you have to fight a different department essentially yeah you're going into like their office and fighting them and then the final boss of each dungeon is the manager of that office oh my god (laughs) and they're all and it's all like a different in addition to you know obviously uh critiquing like corporate culture and startup culture in general every office you're attacking is like a parody of like a dating app or a rideshare service, something like that. Excellent. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah it's, you should check it out. I think the, the uh, subtitle is Internships are Heck. <laughs> <laughs> it does a lot extremely well. And, and, and I think first and foremost is the sense of humor in the game. The game is extremely funny and the dialogue is very good. Yes. In, in Cruelty Squad, things are like very more, like very much more surreal and strange. Mm-hmm. Like there's uh, in the very first mission, um, 
when you go upstairs to like the the manager's offices, you 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 can eliminate your target, and then the the office right next door is an employee, and if they're not just scared for their life, like if you used silence weapons and they didn't hear gunshots or anything, then you can talk to people. You can talk to people who are calm, and the person in the office next door just says, "Man, my boss is fucking mean." And I really wish someone would kill them. And we're like, well, good for you. I guess I just did. <laughs> um, <laughs> cool. Um, so, and like looking at the trailer too, I love a lot of the text that they use to describe this game. Like all systems excessive. Uh, yeah, uh, very much so. Um, like you said, you're swinging around with your intestine whip. The colors and patterns, everything is just it's so insane that it really is life force grinding you down. Um, in, in the form of a video game. Yeah, so it's it sounds like you're still kind of early into it. I'm very early into it. I'm literally on the second mission. It's it's okay. mission based, and there's like probably close to ten. There's a few hidden missions, th- you know, uh, sprinkled throughout. And see, the thing is, that meme is totally correct on both fronts um, because it is very much like Deus Ex mm-hmm. uh, because you have all these different options to traverse through the game in order to uh, eliminate your targets. You have all the augmentations that you can use to make it a little bit easier, hopefully. Um, but this game is also exactly like Mario 64 because the bonus secret levels uh, you find them by jumping into paintings. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> this game is Quake mixed with uh, 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 Deus Ex mixed with Mario 64 mixed with Hitman all in one with a uh, family friendly message about uh, you know how great capitalism is because you can... Uh, sell organs on the stock market now wild so would you recommend it um oh my gosh i think i think i would recommend this game uh for a certain kind of person or like a certain a a person looking for a certain kind of game this (laughs) is like this is definitely not the kind of game like i i I would not uh i I would say the witcher 3 in a heartbeat you know (laughs) instead of instead of this game just just the same Um, But then again, like there's, there's a piece of this game. So it's like the right, the right person that I know well enough, I would say, yes, Mm -hmm. this, this is an art game. Right. It seems like it has something to say. This is an art game with something to say, and it's very unforgiving in how it has been designed and presented. Like, like, and and I believe the, the, like the assault on the senses, visual and audio approach is the way it is because honestly it, it kind of like to me it mocks the the lowest common denominator cost cutting uh standards of capitalism like you know you have a product and we're going to just you know cut away the corners so that it's as cheap as it possibly can be to produce so that we can make as much money on that profit margin as we possibly can well this is that game <laughs> like if 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 call of duty could get away with looking like this then they'd do it in a fucking heartbeat uh no questions <laughs> asked um so you, you really get to play what is this um, social commentary piece. It's not just a game that you play for fun. It's a game that you play to like, oh God, this 
you know, this is, you know, the world I live in. Fuck. Well, I think I'm sold. I think I will definitely check it out. Yeah, I mean, it's like $17 right now during the Steam sale, which I think normally runs 20 although it did just come out. So right. um, that that's why I believe it's like 10% off now, whereas... And it's, I, I, I always kind of feel um, conflicted um, because, again, we, we live in this uh, capitalist society, so you, you have no choice but to, uh, you know, participate. And right. um, everybody's participation in material conditions are dependent on their own circumstances. So when an indie game comes out and it goes on sale for like 75 or 80 percent off, I'm like, you know, that's great for me. That's, you know, I can buy this you know niche game for a very very low price Mm -hmm. and get a lot of time and entertainment uh, out of it but i also kind of beg the question like okay so i spent two dollars for this and it's made by one person it's an indie company it's not published by some big conglomerate so you know two bucks suddenly becomes like well that I, I hope that they, you know, got enough money for the thing that they made. And I do this little preamble ahead of, I imagine, you know, later this year or next year, this game will be on sale for more than 10% during a Steam sale. But it's also like, I, I do, it's a question I'm coming back to now thinking like, okay, if it goes on sale for like five bucks, but it's normally 20 bucks, then like, where does that put the creator? I'm pretty sure one yeah. person builds this game or has built this game and I don't know anything about them. So it just kind of spurred that question in my mind for, uh, indie games in general. Um, because there's so many wonderful things made by people who are passionate about games. They're doing it solo and some have had the fortune to make it their full-time gig. Um, but I also hope that, you know, they're not going through uh, Steam sales and Epic Game Store sales uh, with uh, a lot of stress and anxiety because uh, it just slashes so much off of the top of that dollar. And we know that those storefronts are also taking a sizable cut. Right. Yeah, no, you're right. Now, I was kind of grappling with that, too, because I'm right now not really in a position to buy a new game just because I have such a backlog. But I'm also obviously guilty of like if a game I, I will wait for games to go on sale all the time. But I mean, like you said, you can't, you know, how everyone is forced to participate in this system. You know, you can't really. It, it's why it's hard to to recommend people buy games at full price or not, because you don't know. You don't know what everyone's, you know, situation is or. Uh, how much value you're going to get out of something. Right. And, and then that, like, that's not even considering the subjective pieces with like, will you even enjoy this game? Right. Yeah. Um, despite it, you know, maybe seeming like something you've played before that you liked or um, you know, something in, in your, your field, but even beyond that, like, Hey, go out and get this $70 game. Like, okay. Um, that, games are getting expensive and I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, I I know how I feel about it. I don't like it. Um, Right. Yeah. I I don't think that there's any Activision game or EA game that's worth a $70 price tag. I I very firmly believe that we should, um, we should pay the people making the games more money to work less and make games that are cheaper and like less visually um, high quality and high polygonal uh, pieces because it's just like, I don't know. We, we've we've kind of hit a ceiling, I think, and 
I don't really think we need to push it as hard as we did, say, the jump from 2D to 3D. Right. Kind of focus more on just making fun games and letting the people who make them, like, you know, enjoy life. Yeah, so Ratchet & Clank is actually the first $70 game I've purchased. Uh, like, $70 base edition, since that new price uh, model seems to be the the new industry standard. Um, and I agree with you. It's hard to, I, I, like, I don't know. I know some people defend like the price increase just cause it has been a long time, but what are we getting out of the deal? You know what I mean? That's an important question too, because you would assume that a lot of that would go towards game development costs because game development, especially in most of the industry is you know, pretty high. Um, you know, <clears throat> last, the last of us doesn't get, uh, Troy Baker to do all this mocap and you know they don't have artists making all those polygons for you know real that cheap but at the same time you have guys like Bobby Kotick taking home 155 million in bonus salary that uh, you absolutely know that the people working underneath him are not doing as well and that $70 uh, price is paying for that Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so there's a large chunk of money that's not going to the development. It's not going to the people developing the games. It's not going back into the company. It's just going into an offshore account, uh, to sit forever. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess there's the, the increasing costs of game de- development. There is the factor there, but I just don't believe that every percent of that $10 increase is going where people are saying it's going when they defend it. There's right. absolutely no way it is. Just today, as of when we're recording this, uh, the London School of Economics put out uh, a study that said uh, they, they've examined the economy over the last 50 years and that trickle-down economics does not work. And uh, you know, it shattered my whole world because I'm someone who I like to eat rocks and, uh, you know, I live in a fantasy world, so I just couldn't believe it. You know, I read that my whole morning was just reeling like, whoa, what are you, are you kidding me at my job where I'm making, you know, $30,000 a year? Like, wait, what? Yeah. It's just like, no I'm shit. over here hustling, grinding. Like you're telling me it's for nothing. You say there was a London school of economics. Yeah. Oh wait, I'm sorry. I have to retract my statement. I'm going to re- change it. No shit. Sherlock. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. They love that. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I And, and something uh, I have seen, I think it's becoming a little more normalized because of like the rise of indie games. Right. Is, is But I wish I wish the AAA industry would just adopt uh, like scaling pricing models. Uh, and this is actually something Insomniac did with their last Spider-Man game. It was not quite a full price game. So they charged like 40 to 50 dollars for it. And then obviously, you know, Ratchet and Clank was a full price AAA game. I wish more publishers and developers would start doing that, but the problem there is like a company like Nintendo is never going to devalue Mario, right? Like right. if Mario is in a game, even if it's Mario Party or it's a Mario sports game, they are going to charge however much they can get away with charging. Well, yeah, we see that perfect example with Skyward Sword. I mean, that game right. was like $60. 50 do- yeah. The game was cheaper when it came out for the Wii than it was when it came out for the Switch and not just to inflation. Right. And I think when the Switch Pro or whatever they're going to call it, the 4K version comes out, I would not be surprised if Nintendo starts charging $70 for their new games. Because right now, the Switch, obviously, Switch not being like a new generation with the like PS5 and Xbox. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it technically is. What does that word even mean anymore, right? Like, this is a (laughs) bigger conversation. But like, since it's not a new piece of hardware, it's going to be a little harder for Nintendo to justify 
bumping up their price $10 a game. But I think when the 4K Switch comes out, that'll be there it is right there, right? That's the that's the thing that they can say, well, if you want it in 4K, it's going to be $10. But for those of us that don't get the Switch 4K, we're just going to have to also pay $70 for Breath of the Wild 2 or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it'll, it'll they'll they'll make the change and they'll never look back and uh, we'll make that price as high as we can make it until uh, it stops meeting sales quotas. Right. And that'll never happen because because even yeah. now it's like, I mean, I paid seventy dollars for Ratchet and Clank. Like I'm pissing and moaning about it, but it's like, well, what, you know, uh, a good counter argument for anybody who says that the seventy dollar price is, you know, necessary because of game development costs. Well, they also don't really factor in marketing or uh, now the reduced uh, physical copy costs. So like you don't have to print as many physical copies of games as he used to, if at all. A lot of that cost is just now gone. Also, sorry, I didn't realize Activision was a uh, co-op. <laughs> I didn't realize that they're all splitting that money. I, I take it all back. Because uh, truthfully, if that was the case, I would be like, okay, fine. Like if I was paying $70 for a game, but I knew like everyone who made the game would be seeing that like tangible. And, and to be fair, a lot of uh, developers get bonuses depending on how the game performs and how it sells, but you can also read horror stories of them getting screwed out of those bonuses because the game didn't quite score high enough on Metacritic or whatever. So like, that's not, that's like a half measure in itself. That's not really doing much for me. Right. So it, it is like really shady bullshit deals all along the way. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I, if, if it were the option to like, say, take an indie de- developer, a small team, um, and, you know, they they charged seventy dollars for a damn good game. Then you know, I, I honestly wouldn't feel that bad about it. But there's no way in hell I'm buying Call of Duty or Battlefield, uh, or you know any any games by those publishers for that price. Yeah, because I I know where that money's going, and it's not doing any good. Right, and even you know, I'll I'll get into Ratchet and Clank in a little bit, but I I don't necessarily regret uh, spending seventy dollars on it. But there was also nothing about it that made me go, oh, like this is a $70 experience, you know, because because <laughs> like what you're saying, um, I, I'm liking the PS5 well enough. I've only played like a couple of actual PS5 games. But the thing about the PS5 that's mostly impressing me is the controller. And I've been thinking a lot about it and how like that could be written off as a gimmick. But what am I getting a console for if not a gimmick? You know what I mean? Like if right. I don't care about the gimmick, I would just PC game. So I'm fine with saying the dual sense controllers a gimmick, you know, the, the Wii remote was a gimmick and the Wii sold a bajillion consoles and like, like you know, basically uh, got Nintendo through the, the bunk that was the Wii U. So I think gimmicks are fine for a console game. It's like, it's basically like you're buying a little arcade cabinet, you know? So mm-hmm. however you can make that experience different, I'm totally fine with. And and I, there was like some of that in Ratchet and Clank and there every PS5 game I've played, I've felt like the, for the most part, the dual sense has been taken advantage of, but like graphically, I'm not seeing anything that makes me go like, oh, this is next gen, baby. Like, I don't know. Ray tracing's cool and all, but it also doesn't make me like go bananas when I see my reflection in a in a digital piece of glass. Yeah, I think that there's a a reasonable um amount of graphic fidelity that one can shoot for, but um whenever we see like a realistic looking game, uh like The Last of Us looks phenomenal, right? And mm. I know there will maybe come a time where it will look like garbage 
<laughs> because well, it, yeah, looked, it right. went for photorealism in a, in a space where, you know, if you fuck up photorealism in the slightest, it turns into Uncanny Valley. You go back and look at Uncharted 1 now, and it's closer to Uncanny Valley than the photorealism that it was, uh, you know, it got clout for at the time. Right. So I, I think very strongly that... Um, you know, with, with as many polygons and, and, and special uh, rendering techniques you can cram into a game, um, it'll be just as successful to make a game that has a very compelling and um, engaging art style that, you know, as stylized as you can make your game, whether it's 2D or 3D, um, I think sometimes like it pays off more than going for the photorealism. Oh, definitely. And there's of course a difference between doing like trying to do photo real people like the last of us, as opposed to doing like really good looking Pixar ratchet and clank stuff. Right. Yeah. The world of difference. I mean, right. Cause I tried to watch the first uh, Incredibles movie recently and I wanted to kill them with fire. I was like, <laughs> what are these monsters on the screen? <laughs> like, like, what am I looking oh at gosh. here? But whereas like you can, you know, ratchet and clank, even the old ratchet and clank games still look pretty good. Cause it's going for, he's a little Lombax and you know, he's a made up thing with a robot. So it, it, they're not trying to make realistic looking people. Right. And, and like, I don't think every game would look like a cartoon in that, in that, you know, uh, like if you followed that philosophy, it's just that, mm-hmm. um, it, uh, we, we've gone so long where games have like pushed the, the hardware that it's on. I know without a doubt, there will be a piece of software that will come out for the PlayStation five that will stress that like super fast load time that it, it, it claims is like the, you know, the right. future yeah. for next gen. It's just, uh, an inevitability that someone's going to try to cram as much into, um, that circuitry as they can and uh, it'll all be for the sake of like rendering uh, the like underarm sweat for Nathan Drake and Uncharted 7 I don't know but <laughs> um, you know alternatively like you just make like a, uh, a quirky you know looking game and, and it doesn't require that much work um, I think that works just as good and like I, I've read a lot with um, with Ratchet and Clank uh, particularly because I haven't played it, so I wanted a little bit of context on it. Mm-hmm. And there, there is a fair argument that, that there's nothing about this game that really screams next gen. I would say, like, graphically, yeah, you've got ray tracing and a lot of stuff on screen, but um, you've, you've always had a lot of stuff on screen with, like, the old Ratchet games. So um, I, I feel like in in this particular case... This game would feel like a, a unique and brand new experience if the entire history of Ratchet and Clank was wiped out, and this was the first Ratchet and Clank game. Um, there's like a few new things from what I understand, but like for the most part, it's it's all there uh, from like previous entries. Um, and after you respond to that, I want to. I don't know. I don't have to talk about the dual sense, do I? I do. I, I like the dual sense a lot because it gets just like oh yeah, looking at uh, a different method of trying to advance technology for games. Like we did it with VR, kinda, and it's still like in progress there. But just um, something other than like making the graphics look more graphic, graphical. I don't know. Um, making the graphics look nicer and nicer and nicer. Like, I appreciate that because it does do something a little bit different. And then um, it would also be interesting to see what Sony learns from building the DualSense into potentially building controllers that are also uh, more inclusive uh, for 
people who, you know, maybe don't have all 10 digits or whatever. Oh, sure. Yeah. Because there's a lot of different ways to control games and experimenting with that, I think, is a very good thing to see more than one company do. Right. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned VR because I'm I'm considering getting the PS5 VR. Uh, I don't think it's supposed to come out until next year, but I, I never had the first PSVR, but I'm, I'm, I'm I kind of want to get into VR and maybe it would be better to not get the PlayStation VR and just get like a quest or whatever. But I'm mostly curious how they adapt the dual sense to VR because they've said the new VR controllers are going to have some of the bells and whistles of the dual sense. Mm-hmm. So that that's what has me interested. And honestly, once that comes out is when I'll ultimately make my final decision. But I mean, if you're ready to hop into Ratchet and Clank. I think so. I th- we've been, we've been kind of like dancing around Ratchet a little bit. I think let's jump in. I felt the sentiment myself when I was playing that, like, what is making this next gen? And there is one specific mechanic that I think is like truly a next gen thing, um, which I'll get to. I don't want to jump to right away, but I just wanted to mention that because you, you got me thinking about it and I wrote a little note. So I guess just the overview of, of this game, the Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart, the whole premise is Dr. Nefarious accidentally blows a hole in reality and there y- you go to... To an alternate dimension where you see it's a world where Dr. Nefarious has become Emperor Nefarious, and uh, there is a Lombax there named Rivet, who is the alternate version of Ratchet, or Ratchet's the alternate version of her, however you want to think about it, and this game is essentially an origin story for Rivet and Kit, who is the clank of this universe. I'm trying to think of where to start, because from a top-down, just a general overview, Rift Apart is a very good game, but I I stop short of saying it's a great game for reasons that I can discuss. So I guess just talking about the story, it's 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 not bad per se, but it's really nothing great. And ultimately, it is Rivet and Kit's story. They kind of steal the show. Ratchet and Clank are along for the ride. Uh, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Also, these games have always had really good voice acting, and this is like no exception. So the cast really carries the the what little narrative there is. I do think there's been this trend of the Ratchet and Clank games uh, to become a lot more like sterile, for lack of a better word. Like they're really trying to hit as broad an audience as possible. It it truly is the anti-cruelty squad (laughs) because they are going for mass market appeal, uh, very family friendly. And I think there were moments in this game where that came at the expense of like it doing really anything interesting because I don't think you need to make like edgy jokes to be funny or whatever, right? But there, the sense of humor in this game was just very banal. Uh, there were some moments that actually did make me laugh out loud. Actually, one of my favorite jokes was straight up. It's like the tutorial level because this game does not waste any time of getting you right in the action. And Dr. Nefarious is um, doing his whole thing. Ratchet and Clank start getting the upper hand and he says something of like, so what, you think suffering a crippling defeat will stop me? And Ratchet goes, I mean, yeah. And at the same time, Clank just goes, yes. And that that really got me. But there's sadly just not enough moments in the game like that. I've heard that the humor being described as kind of just like very vanilla. Like it would probably suit like a, you know, and I imagine the target for this game too is like younger people. So, um, you know, kids probably have a blast with it. And and really latch on to the humor. Um, yeah, I'm I'm kind of struggling to think of anything throughout Ratchet and Clank's history that was like that standout for humor to me as well. It's there, but it's just not like uh, as strong or like really the the strong point of the series. 
Right. And and if we ever do a proper full-length Ratchet and Clank episode, we definitely need to have Caleb Grine on, because I was talking to him a lot about this game, because uh, Caleb is a lifelong Ratchet and Clank fan. And he was telling me that they it, it really feels like, just over the years, they've been filing the edge off, like going back and replaying like the original PS2 Ratchet and Clank games. They have a much more like, uh, I guess the tone would be like that of a stinker, right? Where it's well, still like one of them family is friendly. Subtitled up your arsenal. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, uh, and and one thing this game does well that I think Ratchet and Clank does well across the board is uh, you do not need to be an expert to understand what's going on. And I would even say each game on like the first game on any new piece of hardware almost feels like a perfect jumping on point for whatever that run is going to be. Cause I played these games on the PS three. That was, I didn't play any of the PS two ones. And then there was only one on the PS four, which I actually kind of liked, but I guess like the, the fandom doesn't love that one. And so this one rift apart feels like it is the first of what will be quite a few. And I, I do think rivet will play a role uh, as like a new new protagonist. Um, also worth noting, because we were talking about like working conditions and stuff, Insomniac didn't crunch on this at all. So even though, you know, I might sound like I'm being a bit of a negative Nancy here, I'm about to talk about what it does really well. I think Insomniac should be saying that often and loudly that they didn't crunch on this because it is very possible to make a AAA video game experience and not, you know, grind your employees into dust. <laughs> Yeah, really flipping the script and keeping everybody listening on their toes, starting with some bad and going to the good. Um, I think that's incredible, though, especially yeah. for today, because like that game, honestly, like uh, out of all the other games out on the market right now, I think that game does look incredibly good. And uh, the team that did it, you know, they, they they built this game during the pandemic, too. So there's a lot to say there, along right. with no crunch. Uh, that is like very like you know it, 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 I, I don't want to say if it's true but you know if it's true like that they absolutely deserve some accolade for that absolutely let's talk about gameplay I think the best way to describe this game is Mario Galaxy meets Doom <laughs> and, and oh, so yeah it, it so it has like some pretty fun platforming stuff some like geometric platforming stuff where you're kind of playing with gravity as well as like straight up like bullet hell sequences (laughs) whereas a lot of stuff coming on screen and that could be maybe some like next genery right because there's all these particles and stuff on screen i will say i never noticed a frame rate thing like this game ran buttery smooth the whole time but at times there was so much on the screen i felt like i couldn't appreciate it because i'm just like i don't even know what i'm looking at here so yeah combat movement all feels super tight super polished uh, which, you know, that's the thing Ratchet and Clank has always done well. And I'm not saying that to minimize it. It's just that that's what they're good at. They This game knows its core competencies. It knows what it's doing. The weapons all feel really fun. There's a lot of cool weapon variety. I thought for me, the weapon leveling up systems were were pretty satisfying. Uh, they're simple. It's, you know, the you use a weapon multiple times and then you level it up. And then there's an extra layer of like a a sort of like skill tree where it's like uh, this honeycomb diagram type thing where you spend currency to unlock additional skills for your weapons. And it's, you know, nothing super time consuming, but just enough to keep me interested. It's also worth noting, I think to a benefit, it's not even that necessary. If you don't care to explore with different guns and you just have a few you want to use regularly and power those up and then not do anything else, that's fine. The game never at any point makes you broaden your horizons. Personally, I liked trying to like go through the checklist, right? And max out a gun, then move on to another one. Uh, Just because I thought it was a satisfying way to, to, you know, add some variety to the game. Where the doom comes in is not only in the uh, 
combat, but the level designs, it, it's not open world per se, but each level is pretty wide open with a lot of nooks and crannies to explore. Between this and Spider-Man, both the Spider-Man games, I think Insomniac is really good at doing like modern collectathons. Because not only is it just fun to move around the world, but the collectibles you get have a very tangible reward. Uh, and in Ratchet and Clank, the most obvious one is the gold bolts you collect essentially give you cheat codes. <laughs> and so, oh, that's fun. Yeah. And so it's everything from filters on the screen to there's a big head mode. Oh, yes. And the way they work, it's not like you have to get this specific gold bolt to unlock this perk. It's just the order you unlock them in. So the last two gold bolts you get, no matter which two they are in the game, they give you like, I think, infinite health and infinite ammo in that order. Or maybe the last one is technically gold weapons. Doesn't matter. You know what I'm trying to say. One of my favorites was you could actually change what the... uh wrench looks like or the hammer in rivet's case and you can use a keyblade buddy <laughs> there's oh, a keyblade really? in this game yep <laughs> so obviously i rocked the keyblade uh as soon as i got it in general actually there's quite a bit of references to other video games because one of the the end game gun if you will i believe it's as always the case in ratchet and clank it's called the rhino Mm-hmm. And in this one, they play into the alternate dimension things. And every time you fire the rhino, a portal to another dimension opens up. And sometimes like Sly Cooper falls through or uh, Nathan Drake's van. Oh, that's <laughs> or, or play. Really, really good. Wow. At one point, I summoned a robot T-Rex from Horizon. <laughs> and I was just like, OK. <laughs> oh, that, that's actually pretty nice I, I i remember like the the rhino weapons always being like the ones you have to put a lot of effort into getting and having a lot of like little little details like that added makes it sound like it's really worth it in this game um along with like it, it, the, the the whole collectathon thing is also a, a, a an interesting perspective too because i kind of agree like the uh, the marvel spider-man game uh was very fun to try to you know just kind of clear up the map mm-hmm. um and uh it usually in a ratchet and clank game it'd be like uh i i would stumble across some collectibles but i I never felt like i had to go out of my way for them but then when they give you some really good tangible rewards i think that is uh the 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 best possible way to do that you know go go and find like this this hidden item and then we'll we'll give you something in return instead of uh you know if you want big head mode and cheats then give us two dollars dlc (laughs) right (laughs) right and so speaking of the rifts and dimensions this is the part i think is it really does feel next gen because uh you know i we might have said this already but obviously this game looks amazing it really does look really really incredible uh but again at the risk of minimizing that accomplishment ratchet and clank games always look good the, the PS4 game looked really good. The PS3 games still look good. Mm-hmm. This game, in any level, you'll see little rifts in, in reality that you can, like, uh, uh, whip to. But the way that works is you whip to it, and instead of you going forward, it's like the world moves to you. So you stay in the middle of the screen, and the surroundings rapidly change. And that effect never gets old, and it could be extremely easy to do. You know, I don't know programming. I've never made a video game. I don't know. But it just every time it happened, I was like impressed. And they oftentimes will layer that into like boss fights, for example, where that'll be like how you move through phases of a boss fight is you tether into reality and you go through a wormhole and now you're in a new layer of the boss fight. And there's like one boss fight in particular where you're on like grinding rails and you keep doing that and you're jumping to other worlds on like a rail. (laughs) 
Uh, and it's, it's incredible, really. It's, it's like really, really amazing. This game's a pretty easy game to recommend because uh, it's one of the few true PS5 exclusives. And I think it's going to sell really well for a long time because it's like, uh, you know, again, to use the Mario comparison, it feels like, well, if you get a Nintendo system, you're going to get a Mario or Zelda, most likely. And I feel like if anyone gets a PS5, it's pretty easy to say you should get the new Ratchet and Clank. You know, it's 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 worth getting for sure. The Rift thing definitely sounds really fun. And it's kind of uh, it really makes me think about like what developers could do with like multidimensional stuff and like just exploring that as a concept in a video game. And uh, I when when there was a new Ratchet and Clank announced, I was wondering like what are they going to do because they're, they're Ratchet and Clank has like a very rich history. There's a lot of good games mm -hmm. and uh, you know, what can you do that's new, right? That's going to be like a defining piece for everybody who wants to play the new Ratchet and Clank besides ray tracing. So um, <laughs> uh, I, I just would really hope that at like one point in the game, like I, I don't, I don't think there, this happens because you have uh rivet and ratchet. So that like, that's very clearly the, uh, dimensional counterparts uh but just like a million different ratchets approaching a boss fight um, oh, that would be sweet it's like doctor who <laughs> every ratchet from every different alternate universe absolutely it's just just we we can we have the ps5 to do all this like fancy graphic work so now let's just like put as many uh as many characters on screen as possible like let's let's do this like uh suddenly ratchet and clank becomes a, a total war game and it's all ratchet an army of ratchets <laughs> oh that's amazing it's a fun bit of fan service but you don't need to be like a diehard fan to truly appreciate it but the alternate dimension characters you meet are it's cool it's just cool to see the little like how they play on like captain quark what's captain quark like in this other dimension and and even uh Emperor Nefarious is voiced by Robin Atkin Downs, who is Travis Touchdown. So I love that, obviously. I did hear that the the, the uh, dimensional counterparts for the side characters were like actually quite different, um, yes. which is fun, um, especially if you're a fan. I imagine going and seeing that would be like a trip. Right. And another thing I want to commend Insomniac on as far as like gameplay goes is I think they are really good at crafting like fun mini games that complement their core gameplay loop. Now, to be fair, I liked the science puzzles in Spider-Man. <laughs> I thought those were fun. <laughs> and I know that's not everyone's cup of tea, but I thought those were fun. And in this game, there are these like kind of time puzzles with Clank and Kit where it's like in an like kind of like removed from reality where you have to essentially repair reality with these puzzles. Uh, and then there's also these like shoot 'em up segments where you play as a little computer program called glitch that you have to like clean up viruses. I thought both of them were really fun. And I thought I, I like that. I like that insomniac is good at like, you know, and, and it's all of course variants of their core competency anyway, but whatever it's fun. It's a fun way to break up the, the game. Mm -hmm. The last like thing I would praise it for, and this is also, you know, nothing groundbreaking, but I just, I always appreciate when a game does this is there are like fun cosmetic items. There's a lot of unlockable armors and each armor set comes with like 16 or 20 different uh, color palette swaps. So you can just go, go nuts. Hell yeah. Do you think it feels like the kind of game like with, with that 
the the bolts, the cheats, and so forth. Um, you think that there's like enough there for like a lot of replayability? How do you feel about that? It's hard for me to say. So I, I should say I platinumed it. So like even though I'm about to transition into the things I'm not as crazy about, and and like I said at the top, it sounded like I might have been a little down on it. I like this game enough to platinum it. I do think there is a decent. I don't see. It, it's tough for me because this this transitions actually into my my biggest complaint about the game and why I would not say it's a great game is it does a bunch of things incredibly well it does just about everything very well but it's nothing i haven't seen before you know what i mean it, it's it's not and it's nothing we haven't even seen before in ratchet and clank ratchet and clank it just knows what it's doing and it, and it does that extremely well and with the exception of some new bells and whistles like the dimensional rifts there's nothing new in this game that I'm like, oh, wow, they're really trying something new here. Uh, and I, I was thinking about we we talked about this in an episode about like like Mario is a good example of this, right? How, you know, the 2D Mario games don't really think outside the box too much. But the 3D Mario games, it does feel like they're trying something new with every 3D Mario outing. And I feel like they did not really do that so much with this. So to answer your question, for me personally... Uh, I don't know how much I would go back and replay this outside of just if I wanted to show it to someone or I felt like doing a, a, a starting another run because some of the combat is extremely fun. But I think this game would have benefited from like some sort of combat trial mode, you know, or mm-hmm. something just to jump back in. And because there is an arena uh, where you can just go and do some fights and some of the unlockables are tied to the arena but once you get those unlockables i didn't feel any need to spend any more time there yeah that's something that i think um i don't think a game necessarily needs the the whole replayability thing it seems Mm -hmm. like it'd be the kind of game that would be of interest in like a a year later or a little bit further than that um because like I, I do kind of grapple sometimes with the idea of like, okay, I'm just going to play one game, move to the next, and then move to the next. Um, because I, I don't want them to just be like throwaway experiences. Um, I would like uh, something to have a little bit more like longevity in my right. library. So um, it's it's like, I I think that's where I'm really coming from too when I say maybe this game would have benefited um, more so if some of that past history of Ratchet and Clank just wasn't there. It's very like finely tuned, uh, in comparison to like, say a PS2 Ratchet game. Um, but I feel like a lot of people that will buy this game probably played those games and will feel a little bit like, I'm not sure if this one was as good simply because, you know, several years have passed, uh, a lot of the memories of playing those games are nostalgic now, so um, you know a little bit rose tinted, um, and you know you're you're approaching this new game with all of that uh, with you. So I imagine that would you know change the experience a little bit. Um, whereas if this were you know I, if this is someone's first Ratchet and Clank game, uh, I could probably see them just having a mind blowing experience. Absolutely. Uh, versus someone who you know, has played the entire series. And I think that, um, that is just kind of indicative of like, we've fine tuned ratchet. We've done a few new things, but 
I wonder how many more ideas are in the box for the Ratchet and Clank franchise. Again, it feels like the introduction of Rivet is a potential, you know, new mine they could explore because they can do whatever they want with her. They can, you know, have whatever sort of lore they want to pull from. And they do. Some of her background is explored in this and like the origins of her and, and Kit's relationship, which really is narratively the best part of the game. Absolutely. Uh, but to your point, too, about longevity, I do find with this game, even though this is a very easy recommendation for me, uh, and, and if you ever get a PS5, Michael, I would say definitely play Ratchet and Clank. Uh, I find that my thoughts on the game fade kind of quickly. It did not stick with me uh, too much. And, and I think this could be a case of the hype train derailing, because before this game came out, I was reading all these reviews from from reviewers I like and, and I tend to agree with saying that this game was like a modern masterpiece. And they're probably right from the uh, perspective of a, a fun video game, <laughs> right? It, it's, <laughs> it is everything it does. It does extremely well. But uh, I couldn't help but feel a little bit disappointed because uh, it didn't. Like, I'm still thinking about Resident Evil 8 and right. I'm not really thinking about Rift Apart too much. Which is why I wanted to just talk about it in a setting like this. I didn't want to do a whole episode because I I don't know if I could. I don't know if I could fill a whole episode talking about Rift Apart. Yeah, it's kind of interesting too because like then you have like a lot of games out there really do are uh, like compete for your attention constantly to the point where like some games are practically trying to like make them uh, you know jobs with daily rituals and and. Uh, uh, components to like keep bringing you back to playing it. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, it's, it's, I think it's very good that Ratchet and Clank isn't one of those games. Um, I think it's a good thing to have a new Ratchet and Clank game. So I'm not going to say that we shouldn't have gotten this game. Um, I, 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 I even kind of struggle to like imagine what a new Ratchet and Clank game would be like after this, so just like mechanically. Um, cause mm-hmm. I feel like mechanically, uh, the gameplay has to, has to kind of go somewhere. Um, cause I, otherwise like people who've played the, the this franchise will, I, I think like over time it will naturally get stale if, uh, you know, not very much changes. And I kind of get the, the feel from watching some different reviews, um, and, and just kind of reading the room a little bit that mm-hmm. this is like a very good game, but yeah, we're where do we go from here um and you know if if there's a a another ratchet and clank game and it has another gimmick to it but um it you know it's kind of singular in that and then maybe you know i i i won't like hang hang up ratchet and clank i don't know it's um it feels like it's kind of in need of some new clothes but like right now like it looks very good I agree. And I would say for me personally, and this is not really a long term solution, just I how I plan to approach this franchise in the future is if they I think this game sold well enough and did well enough to warrant they're going to make another one. I I mean, of course they are. Right. It's Ratchet and Clank. Uh, how, how soon it comes out is a bit of a question mark because they only put one out for the PS4. Uh, but this one certainly feels like the, the first of a new uh saga whatever you want to call it i think 
even if they didn't change anything, even if they were just kind of like, no, we got our formula down pad. This is Ratchet and Clank. I'll definitely still check them out, but I will not be checking them out day one. Yeah. There's just no reason for me personally to spend $70 on this unless I hear they really change some stuff. And that's not, you know, I'm not, obviously I'm not so as like egotistical to think that like threat means anything or that like, uh, I, I don't even necessarily think, uh, it's coming from a place of negativity. It's just, you know, uh, seeing what this franchise is and what it has to offer me. Uh, that's kind of where I'm at with it. It's kind of like a fun in between game. Um, yeah. and then if, if it's the first Ratchet and Clank that you've ever considered playing, it seems like a, like a good, a really good one to jump in on. I think like the PS4, uh, generation, we had that, uh, that pseudo remake of the first Ratchet and Clank, um, which was also paired with the movie, which, uh, uh it really wasn't my cup of tea. I thought yeah. that the original Ratchet was better in comparison. Um, but um, I, I do remember like the PlayStation 3 trilogy of games was very fun. I, I think the like peak of the, the franchise for me was the PS3 days. Um, so it, it's one of those things where I, I do kind of wonder if a sequel would come forth uh, from this one because it seems like it's gotten positive reflection, but... Um, all still very much in the vein of like, what else can we do with Ratchet and Clank? Um, and, and that kind of like makes me think of like Naughty Dog talking about remaking The Last of Us. You're like, do we really need that? Or do we really want that? Um, and how much people would probably prefer? I, and this is a guess. I'm not basing off of any actual uh, statistics, but how many people would probably prefer a Jack and Daxter game versus a remake of the last of us because they they did jack and daxter so long ago that a remake or just a, a, a continuation or something would probably be worth it for a lot of people and then also introducing uh that set of characters in that world to people as well jack and daxter also come through the rift when you use the rhino i thought so i had to make sure oh hell yeah so they at least are acknowledging they exist <laughs> well, yeah, you got, um, I think right there in Rift Apart, you have probably the PlayStation 5's uh, best ensemble fighting game, except the only thing you can do uh, is fall. It's, uh, <laughs> it's what happens after the Smash Brothers uh, level, after the Smash Brothers fight is done. All right. the other characters <laughs> that lost are just falling through the Rift. <laughs> I have two more minor gripes about Rift Apart, just as like, like far as like game design goes. The first is that I, I did think the first like hour or two were a little meh, like not even bad, just not anything special. Cause, and like I told you, they don't waste any time throwing you in, but it just felt so familiar uh, that I was kind of like, what's new? What's the thing? But then the game pretty quickly opens up and basically once you meet Rivet, uh, and then once you get the hover boots, that's when like the fun really happens. Uh, the hover boots are amazing. Every game should have hover boots. That's my new thing. The other thing is this is also relatively minor, but I kind of wish Ratchet and Rivet would have had separate arsenals and even maybe abilities uh, because there's a few things you collect. The hover boots are actually an example of this where it's like a story moment when Ratchet gets the hover boots, but then you play it. You Next time you go play as Rivet, she also just has them. And I can understand why they did that because the hover boots are so fun that if like they didn't, 
you know, if one character had the hover boots and the other didn't, and they didn't have anything to like make up for the fact that they didn't have hover boots, uh, that just would be not fun. But these characters are basically just palette swaps of each other. And I would have, outside of the, I don't mean to discount the personalities and like, uh, voice actors behind the roles, but, uh, I don't know. I just would have liked it to be like a little bit of a different experience when I played as each of them. And that could be something worth pursuing going forward like that. You know, if we were just talking about what they would do next, that right there is like a pretty easy thing. I think is try to redesign the game so that ratchet and rivet are fundamentally different. Yeah. I think that would be a good goal. Um, and then yeah i could i could see that too because like switching between them i feel like gameplay wise they would blend together pretty well wouldn't they now one thing the game does do that's pretty smart though is once the uh inciting incident happens and ratchet and clank are sucked through the portal into this new dimension they actually get split up and clank gets paired with rivet and then uh ratchet eventually meets kit and that is a pretty smart way to introduce these two characters by having them play off someone that you know well. Uh, and then eventually they do have Clank and Ratchet reunite and they pair off and then you get Rivet and Kit kind of forging their bond. Uh, so so that is effective. That That is definitely the best parts of the story. The last thing I want to talk about, and this is actually maybe a... Uh, I, w- I want to hear your thoughts on this because I know you don't like pre-ordering games. Yes. I'm neutral on pre-ordering. If I know for sure I'm going to get a game day one and some store is offering some sort of a a bonus, I will pre-order. But mostly my incentive for pre-ordering anymore is just so I can play it the morning it comes out and not have to wait for it to download. (laughs) So I technically pre-ordered this because I bought it the night before. (laughs) I bought it Thursday night. And the pre-order bonuses for this were uh, an outfit and a gun, which... I later learned the gun especially was like a late game unlock. And Insomniac has done that with the last two Spider-Man games as well. But I feel like I didn't really care with Spider-Man because it was like they gave you a suit and some skill points. But there are so many suits and so many skill points that it, it, it was fine. But in this game, the unlock cycle felt like such a fundamental part of the game that I actually was like a little bit annoyed they gave it to me once as I was playing the game more and I was like finishing up my checklist of things to do and discovered that I already had like the the one gun I believe the gun they give you for pre-ordering there are two guns you can only unlock when you start a new game plus run and that was one of them so it's like that late in the game (laughs) like you've beaten the game uh and The outfit you get, the way the outfits work in this game is you collect them all in three chunks, uh, head, torso, legs. And so in the game, there was nothing to replace those. Like I I would like see a little icon on my map for an armor piece and I would go collect it. And it was like one of the ones I already received for pre-ordering it. So like I just didn't get there was nothing, you know what I mean? And and I actually I think that's a better alternative than having like certain items only be available to pre-order because that sucks in a different way, you know? Mm hmm. Um, but I don't know. I just felt like this game was a little smaller in scope to like Spider-Man. So the idea that they were just giving me stuff, uh, I, I just thought was like a little bit annoying and I would have just turned that off if I had that option. I don't, I don't know. I, I, this is nothing that's like changing my opinion on the game. I just found that I, I was kind of annoyed with like what should have been perceived as like a gift for pre-ordering the game, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, I feel like, um, 
I, I, the, the last game that you could consider that I pre-ordered would probably be Resident Evil Village because I bought it like an hour before it officially released. Same. I pre-ordered that the night before. I did the exact same thing. Yeah, it was it was uh, at like 11.30 p.m. And uh, I was like, oh, I'll, I'll just do it now because I'm excited. Um, but yeah, I typically don't pre-order stuff. And I have found that the incentives for pre-ordering um, just like I, I don't miss them. Uh, in that case, I think that, you know, that probably would just totally not affect me, right? Because mm-hmm. um, I would have gotten those unlocks in the game as they normally were. Um, but I do feel like there there are some games I think have had some, like, stupid pre-order rewards. Um, whether you go to GameStop or Best Buy or whatever your preferred uh marketplace commerce station is that and, and like some games just giving you um consumables and, and i say consumables in the sense like oh well you start the game off with uh more bullets like okay thanks i like for for me pre-ordering was like really stemmed from a place of like okay well when the game comes out i will be guaranteed a copy when i go to the store and i honestly don't go to the store to buy a game anymore so um the the function has lost all of its function to me um so uh when it comes down to pre-ordering it's like okay the game is about to come out in 20 minutes i might i'll buy it now and it'll just start downloading when it can exactly Um, yeah so like when i when i look at pre-order bonuses i usually just kind of roll my eyes now because um, whether it's something that I could genuinely use in the game and probably have fun with, or something that is just kind of like a very flat um, offering, <laughs> uh, I just I just don't I, don't I don't really feel impacted by it. Um, but then I'm 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 sure that depending on the game, there is something that would do that, and you know like like pay to play games are a thing that shouldn't be a thing but they are so uh i really hope i I never get into a pay-to-play style game and just refuse to pay for it and have to suffer through it honestly like when when, when, i think when i see pre-order incentives and um the the kind of hype build around pre-ordering more than the game i i would like to do away with that uh type of uh, culture just because I don't think anybody really benefits from that. We we have either a lot of games that uh, do pre-order bonuses and people get all hyped up about the game and then the game turns out to be eh. Mm-hmm. Or you have uh, a game that people want to boycott for whatever reason, but then, oh boy, look at those pre-order numbers. <laughs> right. They haven't changed a bit. Right. So it's kind of a strange thing to me that a lot of people are willing to give up their money for absolutely nothing now. Just right. absolutely nothing in the moment. Um but a a promise. And uh that promise is easily broken uh every single time from any developer, any publisher. Uh not saying that they will, but it, it I don't think that anyone's really beholden to uh giving you like the greatest game that you ever anticipated in your life <clears throat> cyberpunk it it is kind of like a weird thing and i always do prefer to wait 
Uh, because even sometimes like that first few hours, that first day will be enough to tell you whether or not you dodged a bullet. Right. Absolutely. On that note, if I was to give this game the whole sauce treatment, uh, I think I would give it 8.5 out of 10 gold bolts because nice. even though I, I just want to, I want to reiterate something here because I do, I, I'm a little worried. I maybe came off too negative in this. Uh, because I think that's just the way my stupid brain works. I tend to focus on the things that annoy me more than the things that bring me joy. <laughs> <laughs> the gameplay in this game is very fun. When I was playing this game, once the game really opened up for me, I did just feel a sense of joy while I played through this game. And even though, like I said, it I it, it's not the most uh, formative experience, it's not sticking with me like some other games, there's definitely value in being entertained for a dozen hours or so, you know, uh, while just consuming some media uh and the it's funny you mentioned cyberpunk because I, I don't want to talk about it too long because we are going to do an episode but i think part of the reason i'm struggling with cyberpunk right now is cyberpunk is way more of a shooter than i expected and i'm coming off of this game ratchet and clank which is a shooter and it had very fun gunplay like extremely fun weapons that were really silly but still fun to use and like the the shotguns still felt really punchy and the machine guns you know it just felt great it felt fun to shoot things in this cartoon world and so then to play a game that takes itself really seriously as a shooter but ultimately feels like a worse far cry i'm like ugh <laughs> like okay uh so yeah ratchet and clank is good it's a very easy recommend for me i do think sadly it's not going to be in my game of the year discussion but that's okay you know that's not you know ob and obviously the reason for that mike is because the leaves don't have uh, uh physics uh, i can yeah. i can phase right through a leaf and ultimately that is disqualifying no no collision physics with local foliage um, yeah even though it might just be how this dimension or this planet works but don't mind that we just yeah. couldn't you know do the very simple thing of uh making every video game a realism simulator yeah also i definitely understand what an ssd does and how that works and it's because of that yeah, it, it, it definitely is for the all the things that I read about on the internet from someone who is mad about the game's existence more than about how good or fun the game is. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. On that note, I think we uh, I think we did great. I think we did a great job. Yeah. Um, Another episode in the can. Thanks for uh, telling me about Cruelty Squad and thanks for letting me talk your ear off about Ratchet and Clank. Yeah, I, I hope that Cruelty Squad wasn't too cruel on your senses for what you had to see and hear of it. Oh, I, I'm probably going to get it. I added it to my wish list while you were talking about it. Oh, excellent, excellent. <laughs> Hopefully it's not cruel to your senses while you play it. Yes. Um, which it, it, it kind of is. But uh, <laughs> yeah, this was uh, very fun. And I, I imagine someday I will get the opportunity to play Ratchet and Clank if I'm not playing it on your PlayStation 5. Um but I am definitely am in no rush uh, to to buy one. Did you hear that, Sony? Um, I just want to <laughs> well, make good, sure because you can't anyway. I just want to make sure you heard that loud and clear because uh, that whole deal with I know that there's a, a lot of supply chain in the unavailability of the PS5, but still, I just it's almost like that console just isn't even actually out and. Everybody who has one now has like a 
uh, like they're they're just demoing it. You know, this is the this <laughs> is the influencer. demo console. Yeah, yeah. You, you got you got the the early access copy of the PlayStation Five, and everybody else has to wait until the friggin' supply chain cleans up. Real, you can't fire me. I quit. Energy coming from Michael. <laughs> <laughs> Well, <laughs> no, I mean, I don't, I, for I guess, real I don't guess, bullet. I guess I'll, I'll just, I'll make an NFT instead. <laughs> I, uh, I like the PS5 so far. Um, if I wasn't sitting at home battling the novel coronavirus, when the, what happened to score one, I probably wouldn't have got one, <laughs> <laughs> but I was like sitting at home with nothing to do. Um, and I don't regret getting it by any means. And I'm very excited for what the future holds, but yeah, I don't, it, uh, there's really nothing. This in Astro's playroom are the only like true PS five games <laughs> I've played and they're both good games, but they're also both not going anywhere. Right. That That is the thing. I think that like some of these games that are PS five exclusive will have, maybe like a little bit longer life because of um you know just the scarcity of the console currently so um there'll be like lagging sales but then the sales will come in time as well i'm kind of curious what that looks like on paper for sony and for these developers um because they know that you know there there certainly isn't an audience with the hardware uh ready to go mm-hmm. and they're just not buying the software um, so I imagine making a next gen exclusive game right now is somewhat of a scary, uh, endeavor, but, um, you know, ho- hopefully for the people who want those next gen, uh, consoles that will change, uh, so they, they're, you know, more easily accessible. And just as we saw with like the jump from the PS3 to the PlayStation 4, um, and, uh, the Xbox 360 to the Xbox one. I think there will always be a lot of games around that time of transition um, for both the previous generation and the next generation simply because they want to hit absolutely everybody they possibly can. That means that I think there will be plenty of games still coming out for the for the uh, the, the previous generation. Um, but I still really want to play Demon Souls. I really want to play the new oh, Demon right. Souls that, very much. Yeah, that would be. I was, I was sitting here thinking, like that is. I also want to play Demon Souls because technically I've also played uh, Destruction All Stars, which was like a multiplayer only PS5 game. But that game is already dead, <laughs> so that is that doesn't count. Uh, and and yeah, I mean, I was thinking while you were speaking. You know, this is. I I said this earlier in the episode, but really. What does next gen even mean anymore? Because with Microsoft, you have they're they're obviously making their games not just for their home consoles but computers. So, hey, I guess I have the new Xbox because <laughs> my computer <laughs> that's six years old can run the games. Great, but also with Sony, all of their big games—I shouldn't say all, but f- for the most part, they're. Like two most anticipated releases upcoming have been confirmed to also come on the PS4. And I agree with everything you're saying, Michael. I think it makes sense because they already have a huge PS4 user base. And, uh, you know, I would rather people like you and my other friends who don't have a PS5 not have to wait to play God of War. So it doesn't really bother me. I know some capital G gamers were like really upset about it, but 
uh, uh, upset about God of War being announced for also PS4, but I just think that's kind of silly. But like, I think this is what we're going to see from now on any new console launch. It's not going to be a clean break like it used to be. It's going to be a, a drawn out affair. Consoles will not uh, die in silence any longer. They're going to die uh, screaming in agony. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I I definitely think that, um, and I've probably said this before um, on the podcast, but I, I think that we're definitely moving, uh, you know, inch by inch closer toward um, hardware being less uh, like just, it, it'll probably still be branded. You'll probably still get a PlayStation or an Xbox, but I just feel like the software is going to be available, right? Um, and and it, it, everybody will look at like how many people will uh, be able to buy and play this game and see, well, if I put it on PC, then that just increases the amount of sales I can make. So why not do that? Um, and then Microsoft's game with uh, Game Pass uh, seems to move more towards some type of subscription model for a library of games versus individual software sales. So looking ahead, uh, I feel like the console wars are really already over. Um, and anybody still like, oh, PlayStation's better or Xbox is better or Nintendo's better. Um, I think at this point, all of that argument is very irrelevant. And uh, it'll definitely it'll, it always boils down to the games and where you can play them um, to which like Nintendo has the only stranglehold on exclusivity, I think. Um, and I don't think that's going away, but I think Sony letting their grip up on their exclusives. Uh, I just want them to bring Bloodborne to the PC um, very yeah. much, very, 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 very much. Um, and then I will be happy. Uh, but them bringing a few games to the PC kind of signals to me that um, the hardware exclusivity is probably a thing of the past or will be soon. Yeah, I, you know, we should maybe even do a whole episode on console exclusives because I think that's a really interesting topic. And I know I've seen kind of a growing contingent of of people, of gamers, excuse me, <laughs> saying uh, there shouldn't be exclusives. And um I think I disagree, actually. I think I, I kind of subscribe to the uh, Jim Sterling school of thought on this and all things, <laughs> which is uh, that I actually think it's maybe good that there are exclusives because if there's like any industry we can't let get stagnant, it's this one. And so that's like really the only way these companies can compete is if they try to get exclusive talent to make games that, you know, only on their hardware. Cause I, I really do think it's, you know, I, I think it's pretty easy to imagine a future where there's no console exclusives and everything is games as a service or call of duty, which is also now just as a surface. So I, I like console exclusives, but I do also understand the argument that people make where it's like, well, you want as many people to play the game as possible. I just think those people are, are being truly pure souls in an unpure world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't really hate the idea that I need a Nintendo Switch to play a Nintendo game. Yeah. Um, there's, um, like, I, I do like my Switch, and I, I like having games on PC to play, and um, I think occasionally there's, like, a really good exclusive game, though I, I feel like the... I don't I don't know what... Like, I think... I think software would generate more revenue than hardware these days, and um, 
in, in, in that world, companies are probably looking to do what Sega did in the 90s and just like stop making hardware if they could. Right. Um, and let someone else do that, you know. Uh, everything seems to be consolidating, and that is one of those things that um, as, as time moves forward, uh, somebody in an office somewhere is contemplating this, looking at spreadsheets and thinking about what move they can make that will not only outmaneuver the competition, but also put them in a position of just making more revenue. So uh, at the end of the day, I expect them to make the decision that will earn them more revenue. Um, and it seems like the easiest way to do that would just, you know, make your software available anywhere. Um, hopefully it works on all those different platforms. But um, that is, um, there, there, are, there are definitely more uh, pieces or products being made in software than in hardware. So I just imagine that that, number is greater well why don't we wrap it up there uh i think we kind of covered a lot today but i you know i kind of like this format this is something i think i'd want to do again this was fun um especially because uh like i honestly really wasn't that prepared so (laughs) it worked out right maybe i'll cut this out i don't know but have you listened to our e3 episode no, I haven't. But I just, I just know. I already know because, like, just hearing a couple of friends get tortured <laughs> by themselves, like it really, <laughs> like, uh, it really was just like me for like a half hour going, like, I fucking hate rich people going on stage talking about how cool their game is. And I really do think that was a particular low point for me personally of going, like, <laughs> this is not what I want to do with this thing. <laughs> like, I don't want to, like, I, you know, I, I appreciate. Even more so now, like the various YouTubers and other podcasters I follow who do talk about E3 and journalists, of course, uh, but I don't want to do that. <laughs> I'm not interested in, in uh, playing in that field. Yeah, like I, I can respect the person who will like sit through an E3, especially an E3 on like a good year when it's packed and and just like pay total cont- uh, attention to it. And, uh, you know, regurgitate some kind of uh, article or think piece or video about it because I definitely don't have that attention span for that. Like I, the moment I see Todd Howard grace the stage is uh, the moment that uh, the TV turns off and I'm off to do work. something. I'm doing something else, you know. Um, <laughs> and, and honestly, I'm using Todd Howard as a placeholder for literally every person who is some sort of manager or executive at uh, a game company like Bethesda or EA or whatever. Like the moment that suit gets up on stage, I'm like, nah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not watching this. You cannot, (laughs) you cannot convince me that anything you have to say is worthwhile. Um, and I felt, I felt like that energy came through in the episode and that is, that's, that's not like a, uh, a happy go lucky, uh, positive energy It's very much, uh, like, God, I, I hate, I hate that person. It wears Um, on you. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it definitely does. It definitely does. Well, thanks for listening everyone. And we will see you in the next time. Bye.